What happens when someone who is born and raised in the regular shoe world, you know, padding, motion control, art support, that kind of thing, discovers natural movement? We are going to find out with today's guest on the Movement Movement Podcast, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body, starting feet first, because those things are your foundation. You know, we break down the mythology, the propaganda, sometimes the outright lies that you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or dance or play, any of those things you do enjoyably and efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? I know I did. That's I just like to say it that way because you look, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are. By the way, we call this the Movement Movement Podcast because it is a movement about natural movement. We're helping people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. And you are the movement helping spread the word about that. So go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com where you can find previous episodes and all the different ways you can interact with this podcast, where we are on YouTube and Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And you know what to do, like and share and thumbs up and hit the bell icon on YouTube. And basically, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. More about that later. But first, let's jump in. And I am so, so happy to introduce Tony Post. Tony, um, I don't like to do intros for people. So why don't you just tell people who the hell you are, and then I'm going to ask you some fun questions. So I'm just another footwear guy, just like you. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I've been doing Tony it a Post. long time. Hey, hold on. Yeah, this is Tony Post, the master of understatement. So please continue. <laughs> so I've been, I have been doing it a while. I've lived a long time. So I have the, you know, the good fortune of working in this industry and in this business for, I guess, what's getting, starting to get close to 40 years. Hard to imagine. But you started with yeah, your so family. I love, I'm happy to be here. So let me start by saying that you and I've known each other for a while. So it's fun to do this. And uh, it's fun to do a podcast with somebody that you've known for a while, because it's, you know, you're really comfortable in that, in that environment. But People may also know me as the founder and CEO of Topo Athletic. So that is a company that I started back around 2013. Prior to that, I was the president and CEO of Vibram USA. Some people call it Vibram. Uh, <laughs> we made soles for a lot of different footwear companies. And then we also introduced a product called Vibram Five Fingers. Um, and then prior to that, I spent 15 years where I really learned the footwear industry working at, when I started, what was a small little family-owned shoe company called the Rockport Company. And uh, old school New England shoemakers really learned about craftsmanship and footwear constructions. It was, it was really cool. But Rockport at that time was the only really casual shoe company that was using athletic-inspired technology in their casual shoes. So they made shoes that were incredibly lightweight. They were very comfortable, you know, maybe not to the extent that some of the things that you and I do, you know, today, but for their time, I think they were an unusual shoe. And we used to, you know, always be told that they were among the ugliest shoes on the planet too. So, so if you can make, my wife has always said, you know, you've kind of made a decent living selling ugly shoes your whole life. So <laughs> oh, no, no, I've no. got that going for me. Yeah, no, to, to call Rockport ugly compared to Five Fingers, that's a whole different, <laughs> that's, you know, yeah. that, these are not in the same Miss America pageant. So, <laughs> uh, so I do want to back up. Yes, we have known each other for about eight or nine years now. And the thrill for me is you were one of the first people who reached out to us when we, we met at a trade show called Outdoor Retailer. We had this tiny little booth when we were selling our do-it-yourself sandal kits. We were totally not ready to be there. And you couldn't have been more friendly and supportive from the first moment. And I'm going to start crying thinking about it because I really can't tell you how much <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, it's been um, 
And also, I like that um, neither you nor I shaved today because we forgot we were doing this. Um, That's right. And, and I'm wearing my glasses just to hide the bags under my eyes this morning. I don't know what's. <laughs> Maybe I should do that too. I have glasses here. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, I'm kind of in that in between oh. range here. You know, yeah. it's like the, well, no, the further yeah, I, I move totally... back from the computer, I don't need them. Yeah, no, I'm much better this way. But again, you know, really baggy this morning. So, <laughs> so the, the, I don't know why. So the thing that I want to ask you, I mean, you know, Rockport, while it was athletically inspired, and by the way, you were the star of perhaps one of my favorite commercials of all time, thanks to Rockport. Would you like- Now you're to- dating yourself too. Well, there's that too. I'm going to find a link for that. If you don't already have one, we'll put that in the show notes. But do you want to describe what that was? Because it's awesome. So let me just start by saying I went to work at the Rockport Company in 1984, and I was a runner. I I ran competitively in college and for a few years after college. So I was thinking that I was going to go to work for a running shoe company, but I came upon this little company that I just felt like was interesting and I could grow my career more quickly, learn things faster. So I joined Rockport, but ironically, at the time, Rockport had a spokesperson that some people will know, uh, was a gentleman named Bill Rogers. Now, for those who don't know, Bill Rogers won the New York Marathon and the Boston Marathon four times each. So in his day, he was, you know, really a well-known and popular top runner. And this little shoe company that made casual shoes somehow managed to get Bill as like a spokesperson. So that made it all credible and legitimate in my mind. And Rockport, as I said, used athletic technology in the construction of these casual shoes, mostly leather shoes, dress shoes, casual shoes, but not traditional dress shoes. You know, they were kind of different. We used lightweight Vibram soles and and the way the shoes were made, they were very light. They had a little bit of cushioning to them, but not an exceptional amount of cushioning, certainly not like, you know, what we talk about in today's standards. My Tempur-Pedic mattress doesn't hold uh, (laughs) what they're putting in shoes now. Yeah, but it was, you know, it was different than a leather sole. So, you know, it was, we were the first kind of dress shoe company to to make shoes with EVA soles or, you know, things like that. And so every day at lunchtime, I used to take the shoe. This is where we finally now get into the story. I was a product manager in the company. And every day I used to take a different pair of shoes out for a run at lunchtime, partly because I'm cheap and didn't want to buy running shoes. And partly because it was a great way to test different products. And I always felt like, you know, if I can run five or six miles or seven miles in the shoes at lunchtime, certainly, you know, you'd be comfortable walking or standing at a trade show or doing a lot of these other things. And so we had just uh, made the first dress shoes called the Dress Sport. And I came back after testing these shoes at lunch. And I kind of jokingly said, you know, because the, our marketing director was there and he goes, how was it? What would you think? And I said, man, I think I could probably run a marathon in these. And I kind of said it tongue in cheek. And of course he was bing, like, bing, 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 light bulb, the light, bulb. light goes off. Yeah. He goes, if you can, we should do that. And then, so it took a, a little while before it actually happened, but eventually I ran both the New York city marathon and the London marathon in Rockport dress shoes. And we made a commercial and the commercial was really kind of instrumental to putting Rockport on the map. We were lucky because it was, you know, it's kind of an old strategy for people who remember brands like Timex watches. You know, they used to say, takes a lick and keeps on tick. And then, and Rockport was, you know, here was this company, this guy running in dress shoes, running a 26 mile marathon in, you know, two hours and 49 minutes. So it wasn't like it took all day to get there either. So it kind of really drove home the point 
that these shoes are comfortable enough that, you know, somebody could even run a marathon and that kind of launched the brand. Which was just, again, just amazing. And I know I've seen the commercial. It's still on YouTube, right? I'm going to find it. If not, I'll find it. Yeah, I hope you don't find it. Maybe I, (laughs) no, I'm sure it's there. You were a young, fun-looking human being. Yeah, it was fine. It it was fun to do it. It actually was really kind of a fun thing. Did you you have to do anything special to get permission to film at the marathons? I don't recall. You know, we had a, a small advertising agency and I'm sure they did some things that were absolutely legal and, you know, maybe some <laughs> things that I'm sure they couldn't show like the New York City Marathon logo in the in right. the ad and some of those things. But Well, so to go from Rockport, which again, I mean, you know, in my teaser, I said normal shoes and they were not quite normal-ish, but they were still, you know, they certainly weren't what we think of as natural movement or natural movement supportive shoes now and certainly not what you or I are doing now. But then to go from there to Five Fingers. Now, at what point in that process did you start getting hip to the whole natural movement thing? So as I mentioned, I was a runner and I've, you know, run competitively, but you know, mostly through my thirties, I just ran recreationally and for fun and just, you know, be able to eat and drink as much as I want or, you know, stuff like that. The, you know, it tempered my gluttonous behaviors, maybe, I don't know, but it's, I enjoyed it. You know, I still loved it. But as you get older, you know, things start to go and you begin to age. And I was talking to one of my friends, having grown up in Colorado, I was talking to a friend at a trade show who said to me, and this is before anybody ever talked about this, have you ever tried uh, working out or running barefoot? And I thought, well, that's crazy. What year was this roughly? That would have been, when he told me was probably around 2002 or 2003. Got it. Okay. Is when that would have been. And this is a guy who was a pretty accomplished athlete. You know, he'd run to the top of most of the, you know, like 30 of the 50 or however many 14,000 foot peaks there are in Colorado. And, and uh, so, you know, he was a good runner, good athlete, good trail runner. And I had never thought of that. You know, I'd never thought anything like that. I was experiencing some knee pain and some hip pain and, and, you know, like a lot of people, I didn't make time for doing other t- forms of exercise or probably didn't stretch or, you know, do other things that balance my body a little better. And so I thought it was a really interesting idea. So it clicked in there around 2002, 2003. And I tried to start by working out in the gym barefoot. And I thought, you know, my gym didn't want me to be barefoot though. They said, you know, you can't for liability reasons, health reasons, we can't have you in here, you know, being barefoot, you know, going on to the equipment. If you were in the, you know, the studio area, maybe that's something different, but you know, out here you can't do that. So, so it's like, I kept trying to figure out what I would do. And I was working at Vibram at the time, of course, and we were making souls. All the company was, was we designed and produced soul platforms for a lot of other brands, great brands, really a lot of terrific brands, um, well-known brands, and some not so well-known brands too, but it was fun. I learned a lot. And I, I had this prototype that the team in Italy had bought from a design student who did this project as like his senior thesis. And they literally bought the rights to this product. And then, you know, kind of we agreed to pay this person a royalty if we turned it into something. And so I was introduced to this concept in Italy and I saw it and they weren't really selling it yet. And they, but they had refined it a little bit more. So they asked if we were interested 
you know, the team in, in the U.S. And so I brought it back to the U.S. and started to develop that concept. And to be honest, all I was thinking about was, well, now I can train in my gym wearing shoes because, you know, they told me I couldn't be barefoot. And for those who don't know, and there probably aren't that many people, but Five Fingers was a shoe that was more like a slipper or a glove for your feet. It had individual pockets for each toe. So all five toes moved and worked independently. They were quite thin and close to the ground. So you had a great sensation of feel but you had a little bit of protection. So more than if you were barefoot, but you know, certainly not if you dropped a weight on your foot or something, you were probably going to break a toe, but of course, um, of course, so that's true, with, that's true with any shoe, which is the whole, you know, you have to wear yeah. shoes in the gym argument is completely ridiculous because yeah. not like, you know, a, a fraction of a millimeter of nylon is going to protect <laughs> you from dropping a 45 pound weight on your foot. Yeah, it's very true. And so I was using them in the gym and I started to feel better, honestly. I mean, I just mm-hmm. like the sense of being connected. I like that feeling. And, you know, it was a grippy Vibram rubber sole. So it had this kind of nice grippy sensation. And one day, kind of on a whim and thinking about that guy in Colorado, I decided, you know, my knee was still bothering me that I would take him out for just like a three mile run and just see what happened. And so as soon as I started to run in the shoes, I noticed that from, you know, over the years, my form had deteriorated and suddenly I was much more posture conscious, form conscious. And because it was a relatively thin sole, I had to figure out how my body was figuring out how to land gently, how to land softly. But as I ran, you know, the miles started to click off and I wasn't experiencing that knee pain, mm-hmm. you know, not putting a particular brand down, but my Asics running shoes, I could barely run three miles and, you know, that pain would start to come. But running in these, the knee pain didn't come. So I kept running and kept running. Well, that day, I ended up running seven miles, which, you know, for a guy who used to run marathons doesn't seem like a lot, but I hadn't run seven miles in a long time. And I was just kind of in awe that, you know, I felt like I had found this thing that could help me. Well, the next day, the other part of the story is the next day I woke up and the bottoms of my feet were really sore, you know, because, you know, they weren't used to that. And the soleus muscle, which is a muscle just below the calf, that muscle was tight and sore. And so I thought, well, you know, this might work, but, you know, maybe you shouldn't try to do it all at once. You know, maybe this is something you do gradually. And so that was kind of the genesis of Five Fingers. That's when it became clear to me, okay, here's this kind of cool natural product that allows your foot to be a foot, as you're, you know, quite fond of saying. And, you know, it allows you to move and work in a more natural way. And if you think about it, this is around 2005. So Mm -hmm. around 2005, shoes were getting built up. I mean, more and more stuff was coming on, you know, plastic parts and, you know, more this, more that, you know, every shoe had five acronyms on it for, you know, all the different special things they were doing. And this was about kind of stripping a lot of that stuff away, which I loved that idea as well. And so that was, that was kind of the launch. And, but as you say, you know, it was an odd looking shoe. It certainly was not a shoe that. I actually say it a little differently. I say it's the shoe that initiated a million divorces. It is um, <laughs> when, yeah. the thing. Actually, I'll tell you this. So my, here, my thing, I first saw a pair in 2006. There's a store out here on the Boulder, the Pearl Street Mall called Pedestrian Shops. And they were one of the first stores to carry the product. And so I, 
whites. Go ahead. Exactly that. I had <laughs> 24 dealers that first year. And the gentleman who owns that store, Richard, yep. you may know him, yep. uh, had been in the footwear industry for a long time, long time. And I had sold a lot of Rockports to Richard. And I was like, Richard, just help me out. I mean, I got nobody who will buy this stuff. Listen, if it doesn't sell, I'll take it back, which you never do. You know, you like, never can say that to people. And he was like, okay, all right, we'll give it a try, you know, because he's, he's kind of a free thinking guy. And he it was, was just of, a handful of, of people, people like sell, that. Yeah, he was one of the first people to sell Crocs. I mean, he's been at the forefront of a lot of things. So I went over there and when were you guys were in Wired? Was that also 2006? Because I think that's how I might have first heard about the. Fight. Yeah, probably. I mean, the, the real launch of the brand happened at the, well, to kind of repeat myself again, I was going to run the Boston Marathon in 2006 in the shoes, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't feel like I was really ready to run a marathon. I mean, I just started running, you know, more than five miles. And so I found somebody who could do it, you know, and they came out and did it. And as soon as that happened, right. a lot of people wrote about it. So, you know, Got a few it. days later, it was in the Wall Street Journal on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. It was in Wired Magazine. You know, shortly thereafter, it was a time product of the year. And yet nobody had even heard of it. You know, it was, yeah. a, it was a weird thing. Well, I mean, I went and tried to pair on and I talk about it. I say, it was kind of like when it's late at night, you go to the fridge because you're hungry and you open it up and you don't see anything and you <laughs> close the door and then you open it up five minutes later as if it's a psychic replicator. Uh, you know, I, I, kept, um, I kept going and trying them on every couple of months, but they never really fit my feet. So I've, you know, Morton's yeah. stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Um, and my joke is, had they fit my feet, I would have never started Zero Shoes. But the thing that I used to say to people, and uh, since you're no longer with the company, you will take this in the manner in which I intend it. I used to, <laughs> when people would say that they're running in five fingers, I'd say, well, two questions. How long did they last? Because there were some production issues in the early versions, people mm -hmm. were having, you know, whatever. And I said, and how bad did they smell? And, um, <laughs> And um, if it was a couple and, you know, one of the people like he typically he was wearing them and she was not. When I asked the second question, that started the argument. <laughs> it was like, yeah. I don't let them in the house. <laughs> and so, um, and the, a lot of say, if you want to look like a retarded gorilla, it's the perfect shoe for you. So, uh, but the, well, but you know, you thing, used to make videos that made fun of us and, and we would sit around like a group of eight or 10 of us and crowd around and put the video up on the TV in the conference room and just laugh, you know? I mean, oh, man. they were great. <laughs> Stand-up skills were coming through in those days. <laughs> well, I'm glad. <laughs> so, well, I wanna, I'm going to dive into that in a sec, but I want to highlight something you said that I really love, which is, you know, that after that first run, you had done too much too soon. And of course, the problem with too much too soon is you don't know you did too much too soon until you do too much too soon. Mm -hmm. But you did something that's actually similar to what happened for me, because after my first barefoot run, I ended up with a big blister on the ball of my left foot. And Unlike many people, I did not think what's wrong with this. Unlike many people, you did not think what's wrong. I got sore. We both thought, oh, wait, there's something else going on here. And maybe, you know, maybe there, for me, it was like, it was, why is my right foot fine and my left foot not? That's interesting to me. What was my mm. right foot doing correctly that my left foot wasn't? For you, it was that more obvious thing of, you know, too much too soon and what happens if. So that experimental mindset is frankly unusual. And that's, were it not for that, you know, things would not have moved forward, I imagine. Yeah, I, th I think that's very true. And for me, that's the way I need to experience things to learn and see what I think is right. I'm I'm not saying just like I think you said, I would never say that that product is for everybody. I used to say it all the time. And, you know, when you get a product and it becomes popular for whatever reasons, you know, 
there were probably a lot of people that were using it that maybe shouldn't have been, or maybe should have used it a little less, or well, think, you know, maybe so, not I, done the things they did in it. Maybe I think that's, it's a little different. And I just remember one of the first things I said to you, and I think one of the reasons that I instantly adored you was the way you responded to this comment. I've often said seemingly obnoxious things to people within minutes of meeting them. Sometimes, but mostly because it's a thought that I've, I'm having, and I just got to get it out of my face. And sometimes it's a test to see, you know, can someone handle it? That was not the case in this in this situation. It was really just because I was having this thought as we were getting into this natural movement idea. This is now 2010, 11. And I said to you something along the lines of, you know, the biggest problem is, well, let me back up. The fundamental problem is that human beings have been, especially in America, have been trained that the product is just the solution instantly. Just you have a problem, here's a product, fixes it right away. And what you and I are talking about and what we've already alluded to is that what we're doing is getting out of the way to allow for a more natural use of the human body, that that's what creates the effects. And just so I say, it's not about the footwear, it's about the form. It's just some footwear informs the form. So, mm -hmm. but because everyone has this problem solution mindset, what happened is people got the idea for whatever reason that all they had to do is put on a pair of five fingers or in our case, you know, sandals doesn't make a difference. All they had to do is wear them and instantly everything would get better. And that's mm -hmm. not the case. And I said to you something like, you guys are really dropping the ball on education. And it's not like you could have really done anything about it because it was moving faster than anything you could have done. And I said, you're dropping the ball on education and something along the lines of, you know, this is the thing that's going to bite us in the butt or it's like killing the golden goose or something along those lines. And your response yeah. was, was, yeah, I know. And so, you know, you were, it seemed that in these early days, you were very aware that it had a life of its own to a certain extent. And, you know, how do you stop a moving train? Yeah. I mean, we did try to do a lot in education. After I left the company, the company was actually even sued about some of these things because, you know, we made a lot of materials that said, like every product, for example, had a hang tag on it that said, right. um, among other things, you know, if this hurts, stop, you know, don't continue to try to push yourself through something as runners, but probably as athletes in general, human beings often try to push themselves and keep pushing themselves and think that, you know, things will get better. No That's not always the case, you know, and I think we did do a lot to try to help people become more aware of their form, conscious of that. We did a fair amount of research with uh, Harvard University. Right that, you know, really helped us to understand what was going on biomechanically, what was going on ergonomically, what was going on and, and how people could engage with the product better. And, and everybody's different. There's some people sure. that are very used to being barefoot. And there are a lot of people that are not, you know, we put people in shoes at a young age, and they're in shoes, you know, most of the time, it's like wearing a cast on your arm. And if you cast that arm, every day for, you know, 20 years or 30 years. And even if you take it off at night, you know, that arm is going to atrophy. The muscles are, are going to become weak. You're never going to have the same range of motion that you would if you use it all the time. So it just depended on the person's adaptability to a more natural condition. Well, I've done, I mean, I've talked about that. I have this whole theory about the the brain plasticity component of that. What is it that makes some person able to adapt very quickly and another person not? And from my research as an undergrad, you know, I've got some whole theories about that. That's not the important part. But the thing that I just noticed was that salespeople and people people just had this idea that all I need to do is wear these. And that was, you know, the early barefoot days, yeah. that was sort of 
while none of us were saying that, that was the message that was expanding faster than we were. Yeah, well, I think, you know, there was a book that came out, of course, that probably helped promote oh, really? that concept really? what, a little really? bit. What was it? <laughs> so, and I love Chris McDougall. He's a phenomenal human being, and I love everything about him. He's a great guy. But in reading Born to Run, I think a lot of people got the idea that they could do things that maybe they could do, but they needed to work up to it. Yeah. And so, you know, the idea that anybody can go run 50 miles barefoot, well, probably not. If you haven't, you know, been training or adapting to that. Well, you said it. I mean, this is a a kind of a semi-argument I have our dear friend, Dr. Irene Davis at Harvard, which where I say, I mean, I think almost anybody could-ish. There's nothing preventing someone. If you can run, if you have the idea that you could possibly run 50 miles in a pair of shoes, you could learn to run 50 miles barefoot. That's not an issue. But this is another Western thing where we have the idea that anybody can do anything that they set their mind to or that they believe in or whatever it is, which is patently false. I mean, I'm a sprinter. The idea of running 50 miles, I don't like driving 50 miles. So, you know, that's not going to happen. And I actually said to Lieberman, the first time I met Dan Lieberman was at the New York City Barefoot Run. And he was proposing his theory that we're all persistence endurance athletes. We all just, you know, learn to run long, slow distances so that we could hunt down animals. And I said, I'm not that guy. And he goes, well, you just didn't train that way. I said, that's what all you slow people say. So um, I said, no, no, the difference between sprinters and distance runners, it's a whole different physiology. Like your guys might've chased the antelope down. My guys are the ones who showed up, put it over their shoulders and walked it home. Cause me and my friends, we deadlift three times our body weight and you guys can't do a push up. So that said, while you can't do anything, in the range of the things you can do, there's a lot that you can change. And again, the adaptability, the neuroplasticity necessary, especially to learn new movement patterns, because we are, our identity is locked in with some of the ways that we move, some of the ways we hold our body in, in very subtle ways. So learning to, to deal with the, what we experience as frustration of laying down new neural pathways to learn new different, different movement things is challenging. I mean, yeah. dude, I've spent, I'm what, I'm 58 years old. I've spent 40 years trying what I do called trying to get the gymnast out of my body. So I was an all-American gymnast and gymnasts all have the same posture, you know, chest a little caved in because you're super, super strong in that direction. I mean, there, it couldn't be more standard. I mean, you line up a bunch of gymnasts next to a bunch of anybody else and you could pick them out without blinking. And it's taken me a long time to, to deal with that. But so anyway, blah, blah, blah. This is a, um, we took a tangent here. I'm curious. I want to say, talk about two things really quick. So when the five fingers and the whole barefoot movement was really blowing up 2010 moving forward, what was that like just being part of that? I mean, being at the top of that apex, if you will. It was a lot of fun. It really was a lot of fun and for a variety of reasons. It's always fun to see. I mean, I think everybody roots for, we weren't a big company, you know, and yet we had kind of taken the industry by storm. And I think a lot of people like that when that kind of thing happens, when a a smaller, you know, less known, less resourced company comes along and takes on some of the Goliaths. And so I enjoyed that part. And at the same time, I wanted to, I think the biggest challenge for me was I wanted to advance the concept. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to move the concept on to, frankly, other types of shoes, you know, shoes that didn't necessarily have five pockets for your toes. And as I said, the company Vibram had been around since the late 30s. Right. And the founder of the company was a gentleman named Vitali Bramani. And so, you know, in a sense, I worked for the grandson of the founder in Italy. And when I 
talk to him about extending this concept, he just didn't, he couldn't get behind that. He's, right. He was too afraid that, and probably for good reason, I think he made the right decision. He would rather stay focused on the soul business. It was nice that this five fingers thing happened. It was all good. And it was great that it brought creativity, you know, freshness to the market kind of maybe a little bit of what you said, where, you know, created a lot of divorces. It got people to think about things differently. And they they loved that at Vibram. You know, they loved that kind of concept. But at its core, the company was still a company that made sole platforms right. for a lot of other footwear brands. And that's what he really wanted to advance. So he said, you know, if you want to do it, you can take the concept to other folks, which you saw we did. Of course, we yeah. We, you know, Merrill was a great customer at the time, and we made the Merrill barefoot shoes and helped them to create that whole concept. We worked with New Balance and helped them to create the Minimus and that platform. And so we kind of took somebody from the outdoor, somebody from the run industry, our own, you know, Vibram Five Fingers. And that was that was kind of how we built it out. But it was frustrating to me because I wanted to do other things that would advance the concept. And I always feel like there's a, a wide scale. You know, there are some people that are going to be the purest, you know, most natural, the people who really are barefoot all right. the time, you know, regardless of the weather, the conditions, whatever. There are people that go a little bit past that. And that there are there are some people that need a little more help, you know, to get there. And that was kind of where my interest was with Topo. And Topo, of course, is comes from my name, Tony Post. So Topo Athletic is how we got there. I wanted to create footwear that would help you transition probably to shoes that are a little more natural product like you make. But I saw a big market opportunity for, you know, many people to be able to, to move towards something that was a little, a little more natural. Well, you know, the guys at Ultra have said a similar thing that they think of themselves as a gateway to zero shoes. And to which I say, well, I don't see you putting any ads in your boxes for me. So, <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Um, but I'm curious. And, and uh, by the way, one more story about that. Yeah, Ultra, yeah, yeah. you know, I said we had 24 customers. They were so one. Golden Harper's dad, Hawk Harper, owns a store in Utah. And he was one of those first 24. Yeah. They fully embraced the concept. And even Golden, when they were starting Ultra, you know, came and showed me the original prototypes and yep. said, I promise we won't put, you know, toes in them. <laughs> You're kind of doing what I would love to do, but see, I just want to know. I don't know if you saw all the emails that people were sending to Vibram. I just want to know if you ever got emails from people saying, "Can't you make one for six-toed people?" I mean, why are you discriminating against us? I know. I mean, we get requests that are like completely wacky um, from people who think that they're somehow normal. I mean, I've seen people, and I'm not trying to, you know be foot shaming anyone. I've seen people whose feet are practically square. They're as wide as they are long and, you know, complain to us that our shoes don't work for them. It's like, dude, no shoe has ever worked for you. And, but I find it kind of entertaining. We all think that we're not unusual in certain ways when we are all unusual in certain ways. All unique. Unique is a good way to say it. We're that, Okay. That'll work. Uh, <laughs> that's my favorite verbal pet peeve is when people say very unique. It makes me crazy. It's like, you can't be very oh, one okay. of a kind. That makes me nuts. Anyway, um, so, you know, we, we mentioned something before, the lawsuit for, against Vibram, a class action suit, 
is one of the most misrepresented things that I've ever heard of in my life. And you were no longer CEO of the company when that happened. But you told me that had you been CEO, you would have handled it very differently. Yeah, I would have definitely handled it differently. So for those who, you know, now we're really getting into the minutiae. But what happened was, after I left the company, the company was sued for uh, making false claims in marketing and advertising. Specifically, and among, specifically. Uh, among the claims were that you, you, you know, muscles in the feet could grow stronger, right. you know, wearing five fingers versus conventional uh, shoes that cast the foot. And at the time, of course, you know, we had two pieces of information. One was going back to, I think it was around 2003 or something. Somebody could look it up, but there was a gentleman named Brugerman mm-hmm. who presented a paper at the... I can't remember what it's called, but like the American Biomechanics Conference or the Worldwide Biomechanics Conference. And this paper that he presented was a paper that showed wearing shoes with less structure and with less protection and, you know, conventionality that we think of in in traditional footwear. If you strip that away, that the muscles of the foot would grow stronger. And he actually had proved it. He had measured the muscle fiber against a control group. And it was a pretty large sample set. And so, you know, there was this research that was accepted by the American Biomechanics Institute that said, you know, that is a fact. Yes, we accept this conclusion. And, you know, I always wondered, should we prove it? And a lot of our people on the scientific advisory board said, you know, I think it's kind of pointless to prove it because it's pretty obvious, you know, I mean, you're just using the muscles in the foot in a different way when you when you strip all that stuff away. So if I was there, I would have fought the suit. I think the company didn't really want the confrontation. And so they just agreed to settle the lawsuit. They had done pretty well financially, and they agreed to make a donation to some organization, um, you know, to effectively how, how uh, ironic that a bunch of Italians didn't want to fight something. I'm, I'm amazed. It's like, uh, hey, you know, I think we can take care of this out of court, maybe. I think uh, you know, I know a guy who knows a guy. He, he'll, he'll make it all go away. Um, yeah. I have a theory. I don't know if it's true. Well, first of all, the thing that amazes me about the lawsuit is that you just described it exactly the way it went down. But what people, the way it was framed is that this proves that barefoot is bullshit and that running barefoot or running in these things will injure you, which was or that not it's not good for you. I think that's what people thought. That was what yeah. they got out of that was, mm, it's not good for you. It's not which healthy. Is, you know, right, which something. is an amazing gap. And I have two theories. One, actually, I don't know if I ever told you this. I talked to someone who was the VP of marketing at one of the, well, at a company that you mentioned, I'm not going to say which one, we'll leave it that vague. And I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but you found out that the lawsuit settled for $3.75 million. And you spun that story and put that out into your media contacts about how barefoot isn't good for you. Is that correct? And he goes, yeah, of course. So the story was being controlled, not by the people who knew what was going on, which was an amazing thing to discover. But I have another theory, and it was a class action lawsuit. I have a, my theory, my suspicion is that it was sponsored surreptitiously by a larger shoe company. And I say that in part because in the early barefoot days, if you will, 2009, early 2010, the big shoe companies were freaking out. I mean, they were doing massive, massive PR. Well, there was an article that came out. Let me say it differently. 
people were pointing to something on the web that looked like an article about how barefoot was going to kill you and you needed motion control stability shoes. And I seem to be the only one that noticed it was a native ad because there was a tiny little thing that said sponsored by Brooks Running, which is ironic for a number of reasons, not the least of which being that you and I both know the guy who's the CEO of Brooks and he knows that natural movement's a real thing. So, but his business was doing very different things. So from that and all the companies that were coming out saying, if you take off your big thick shoes, you're going to kill yourself. That's one of the reasons why I have this completely unproven theory about the sponsorship of the lawsuit, because the person who was the lead in the class was talking about how she got injured, this is my memory, so pardon me if it's inaccurate. She got injured wearing these shoes, but that had nothing to do with the suit, which was about false medical claim. So the conflation of these things seems so deliberate in my mind that I, I hope someday to find out. I could be wrong and I'd be happy to be wrong, but I'm dying. Yeah, I think people know that there are law firms out there that specialize in this kind of thing anyway. And so they basically, it's like a patent trolls or, you know, this, it's very similar where they'll just try and seek out an opportunity regardless of whether or not it's credible or legitimate in hopes yeah. that they'll achieve some kind of a settlement. So you're saying and the that, simpler explanation is you douchebag lawyer. I'm sure there are some good lawyers out there, but this one probably wasn't one of them. So. <laughs> well, you just raised another point. So, you know, one of the other things that happened with Five Fingers is just people ripping off that idea like there was no tomorrow. What was that like? And what did you guys do or not do? Or what did you learn from that? And by the yeah. way, I ask because I'm starting to see it happen to us. I'm seeing design elements of ours suddenly being used by large companies. I won't mention names like Bikey or Bladidas. Well, you know, there's a couple different things we did. Obviously, within the trade journals, we advertised about our patents. And you mentioned, you know, we've been, I've been involved in some funny ads. We actually did a very funny ad. So I would encourage you to search it. I know this is on Google. And if you searched out Vibram patent infringement advertising or something like that, you would uncover a very fun image. Uh, you know, we took the foot of the five toes of the Vibram five fingers and did something which some people probably would consider oh, slightly profane. I loved this ad. Oh, <laughs> my it was God. Just to, it was just to warn people that, you know, we, we have patents and we try to protect our patents. And, you know, we have a responsibility to protect our patents, you know, right. for shareholders and everybody else. So, the, you know, you were quoted somewhere saying that, perhaps your money may have been better spent uh, building more relationship with the customers than infringing or dealing with the patents because of <laughs> what a, t a money hole that is. Yeah. Um, we're in a situation now, you know, we don't have patents on a couple of things because we didn't get them because we didn't have the money way back when, and we didn't know if we could anyway. And, and now we're yeah. watching people take some of our design ideas and some of our utility ideas as well. And we do have a number of patents, but on some of the things that are being taken now, uh, not so much. And it's, the footwear industry is just incredible. The first lesson I got, guys who we met who'd been in footwear for 35 years, we were at a um, one of the footwear-related trade shows, and the first booth we stopped in was someone who had the exact product that they were making and looking to license. And we, I was just kind of dumbstruck by that phenomenon. He goes, once it exists, everybody knows it. And yeah. you know, it's just so hard to protect what you're doing in footwear. And there, I believe in a certain amount of that too, that you just got to keep moving. You've just yeah. got to always keep inventing, always keep advancing, always keep, you know, trying to improve the customer experience. And if you do that and don't just rest on your patents or your laurels, you know, I yeah. think you'll be a better company.
So it's interesting, the Brueggemann study saying, you know, just getting, doing less is better for you, less is more. Ironically, that's exactly the point that Nike is now making about their new shoes that they say reduces injury. They say, we got rid of a lot of the, the protective features since our best-selling motion control padded shoe, the Zoom structure, and that seemed to reduce injury. It's like, uh, yeah. Um, and of course, if you just went even farther, in fact, there was a, an article that just showed up um, on like Yahoo Finance where they quoted me uh, about this. And it's like, well, yeah, we just got rid of even more of the protective features and we're you know, seeing wonderful things from the people who've experienced that. And of course, yeah. you know, their thing with the protective features, it's um, <laughs> so yes, that new shoe reduced injuries by 50%, a little over 50% compared to the control shoe, but still during their 12 week study, almost one in three people got injured in the control and one in seven got injured in the new shoe, which is I like to say, it's like me saying, I'm going to buy you dinner at a restaurant every night this week. Do you want to go to the one where you get food poisoning twice on average or once on average? <laughs> neither one of those makes sense to me. So anyway, yeah. that's a neither here nor there. Let's move on to Topo then, because there's an interesting evolutionary things that you did there. You came in with one idea that evolved into something mm -hmm. new. I'd love to hear mm -hmm. just, you know, what were you thinking? <laughs> Actually, what were you thinking <laughs> when you were starting a shoe company? I say that because yeah. these guys that I just mentioned, when we met them, they said, we believe in you and Lena and what you guys are doing. And we would start this shoe company with you, but we've been in footwear for 35 years and we're not stupid enough to start a shoe company. So yeah. What made you stupid enough to start a shoe company? And talk to me about the evolution of it. I think, you know, from the time I worked at Rockport, I saw how the owner of that company really was able to express himself in footwear and do, you know, a lot of good things. And I saw that company grow. And I had a similar kind of experience where I had probably more of the controls in my hand at Vibram. And so maybe I had a little too much arrogance about it or not arrogance but maybe i was overconfident about you know how you could build a company and i have a lot of respect for you and anybody who has ever tried to build a company it's really really hard i've been a part of these two companies that succeeded became you know multi hundred million dollar companies and when you go through that experience you feel like well you know i've been a part of this a couple of times but to start it again it's really hard. And so I have a lot of respect for entrepreneurs and people who try to build businesses and who try to create things and make things from scratch and fill a need and deliver an experience. At the end of the day, it comes down to, am I going to make something that's going to improve the quality of people's lives? You know, I mean, that's what you believe, yeah. you know, and that's what I have to believe or I wouldn't do it. You know, that's really the reason to do it. And then work with a group of people who share that belief, who share that passion. And there are people with all different needs, all different tastes, all different attitudes out there. So there's a wide range of people that you can help. And so I've always in my life tried to, you know, kind of have this narrow vision of who my customer is, you know, not appealing to everybody, because clearly I've never made shoes that appeal to everybody, <laughs> but I try to make shoes you know, what that I think for a particular person that I have in mind is really going to benefit that Valuable. person yeah. is really going to improve the experience and deliver a better value. And so that's what I wanted to do with Topo. And with Topo, for me, it started with the fit. And so the fit had to be, you know, obviously, I wanted that sensation of allowing your toes to spread and splay. So roomy toe box, for sure, that had been done. There are shoes that are you could buy in wides. But I wanted the last to have more of a contoured shape so it felt 
a little more snug and secure in the waist, secure in the heels so that you felt more nimble, more agile. You're using all of those muscles in the toes. You're using all the sensitivity that you have there, but the shoe still has to feel like it's more a part of your body. I wanted to put some protection, not massive amounts of protection, but a little more protection underfoot. And I would vary it. You know, I wanted to be able to transition people having come from the five fingers experience where I saw some people get injured, you know, really quickly. I wanted to make shoes that would allow somebody to transition to the most natural experience eventually. So we would offer different levels of cushioning, nothing that would be considered cushioned heavily or, you know, by today's standards, certainly, but, you know, with a little more protection than what I was making clearly at, at Vibram. And then I think the last thing is we wanted, I believed in shoes that are on a level plane, you know, people use the yeah. term zero drop or, you know, it's where the heel and the forefoot are on the same plane. But I also, you know, as I described in that first run, when I had that sore soleus muscle it was because I wasn't quite used to running on a shoe with a level plane. So I said, well, I'm going to add a little bit of stack height in the back, a little more. So there would be a five millimeter drop or a three millimeter drop or a zero drop. Now, for anybody who knows their metrics, you know, five millimeters is like, you know, a quarter of an inch. It's not a very big heel. No, but it's amazing. It's amazing how much you can feel that. I mean, what people forget is yeah. like, it's the difference between walking on um, polished cement versus being on a sidewalk. You know, we're so, so sensitive to those little things and we take it for granted. We don't even notice how sensitive we are to those little variations until they're put in front of our face or on, on our feet. So I really wanted to take those three ingredients, the idea of the fit, mm -hmm. the idea of this, you know, low heel to toe drop, you know, different amounts, slightly different amounts of cushioning. And I wanted to kind of package that into athletic footwear, running footwear that also brought a certain craftsmanship, you know, learn mm -hmm. working at Rockport where we literally made our own lasts, you know, in a shop in the, it was, you learn a level of craftsmanship that doesn't exist as much in our industry today. And I wanted to bring some of that concept of craftsmanship and shoemaking into this while still combining it with, you know, modern materials where you can and, and a modern approach. So that was the concept behind the development of the brand. But you, you overlooked my favorite part that I'm dying to hear. I know, I know, I know. So the, the favorite part that you, <laughs> the punchline to the story is when we launched the brand, it had all of those ingredients, which I loved, but it had one other ingredient, which is that the we made, if five fingers were like a glove for the feet, we made a mitten. And so we had a pocket for the big toe and then another pocket for the other four toes. And the reason we did that, as you well know, the big toe is really a key stabilizer in the body. So important for balance, agility, you know, whether you're standing, running, moving, walking in any way. And so I wanted that to be isolated and independent so that it could move a little more freely. And so we launched well, little, the brand. A little like pause. That. And just to add, this is not like it's the new idea for people who no. don't know in Japan and in many parts of Asia, this is tabby a shoes. Mm -hmm. tabby shoes. And yeah, this has been around for a long, long time. So this wasn't you, know, you pulling it out of your butt. No, not at all. It's been around for, like you said, hundreds of years and you can still yeah. see tabby shoes a lot yeah. if you go to Japan. And so I loved that concept. And when we launched, we launched with three styles, all made that way. And people said, you know, we like these shoes that they're lightweight. We like some of the characteristics and whatnot, but 
You know, people just don't want this mitten construction. This is where it's really hard when you talk about launching a company. So here I've hired people, created something, brought it to market, and it's not working. Right. And, you know, you ask yourself a hundred questions. No better, no better. It's a good idea and it's not working. Yeah. But you ask yourself, well, why didn't I test this more? Why didn't I do, you know, one or two shoes without the tabby fit? You know, I mean, there's time for that after the fact. You kind of second guess yourself. But in the moment, the deal is done. You took a stand. It didn't work. And it took us about two years to correct that issue. So we literally had to help people sell them through or if they couldn't and to avoid destroying relationships, we brought shoes back sold them off in channels where it wouldn't, you know, damage the brand, retooled the company, put more money into it, you know, so this is the other thing, of course, is, you know, there's a, as you well know, I admire how you've been able to, you know, you basically bootstrapped the company from nothing. This yeah. is a very capital intensive business we're in, and you got to build inventory and tooling and all these things. It's got a high barrier to entry, which is great, but it's hard when you're in the process. Yeah. So to do it twice in two years, because we had to redo everything, that was very hard. But when we did come out the second time, people were like, oh, okay, you know, I mean, this is better. We like yeah. this better. It's still, you know, we're a lot of things we could improve. So trust Always. me, there's things Always. we can improve today all over. But Always. But it was enough to be able to get it up and off the ground. So I felt good about that and it set us on a path that we're on today. And again, you know, congrats on that as well, because um, from one to another, you know, it is, this is a tough road to hoe and it's you and I come from different backgrounds. So you come from a wholesale background. I come from a digital direct background. Now we're both in this phase of how that's blending and what that's doing. And so watching what you've done has been really inspiring because, you know, that hasn't been the direction that our company has taken up until recently, which by the way, as a result of that, I could have had this conversation offline, but I'm going to do it now for the fun of it. Um, congratulations on getting some rep groups that we were trying to get. Oh, well, you know, we're all competing for good people. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, and so we all have the we same know who ideas. the good people are. You know, there's yeah. there's a finite number of good people. And yeah. so congratulations on that, damn you, man. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I'm, I'm super happy for you. Oh, thanks. Um, so, we need more help than you do. So we need to uh, Everybody needs help. We're all, you know, look, my wife says it best. Her line is there's enough shoe companies in the world. There's no reason to ever have another unless what you're doing changes people's lives. And that's what we're doing in our slightly different ways. And that's, yeah. you know, that's the important part. Uh, getting people moving is thing number one. Getting people moving well is thing number two. And getting people moving as naturally as possible is all underneath or on top, however you want to, whichever image you want to yeah. use, umbrellas or foundations. And so that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. And frankly, as I said in the email to reach out to you about this, I was remiss in not having this conversation ages ago with you and some of the other people we mentioned, Golden Harper from Ultra and some of our other friends who are in the biz. I'm still trying to get yeah. someone on here who thinks I have my head totally up my ass. That's my goal <laughs> is to have that conversation because that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and I know exactly who I want to, but he said no. So um, and I don't know why. You know, actually, I want to leave on this one idea and because I've got to bounce in a couple of minutes anyway. Um, you and I were on a panel discussion at the American College of Sports Medicine. It was you, me, and a guy from Brooks and a guy from Adidas talking about footwear um, and healthy feet, et cetera. It was the most well-attended event they, I think, ever had. It was beyond standing room only. And I have a lot of entertaining memories from that. I'm just wondering, what was your kind of takeaway from that conversation with two guys who were totally on the padded motion control, art support, blah, 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 versus us on the other side of the fence? 
so, you know, it's funny. I've thought about that from time to time. And I think one of the things you mentioned earlier, how when you first started, how, you know, hopefully I said some things that were encouraging because, you know, it's not about just creating your own company and building this thing. You're trying to, as you are doing right now, you're trying to build a movement and it happens with having multiple companies. It was nice to be in that situation where there was somebody else on my team, you know, (laughs) and you, and frankly, you know, you're even a little further on my team, you know, a little further. I I was literally to to your left. Yes. (laughs) And so it was kind of cool. It was kind of reassuring, you know, and it was, I think it was interesting for everybody who uh, got a chance to hear different perspectives and different points of view. Maybe it's a little like politics, which I almost hate to bring up, but some people come into those sessions and they've already got their mind made up and they're not going to change no matter what you say, no matter what you do. But there's always a percentage of people that come to those things that do have a willingness to listen. And those are the ones that you're hoping to touch, you know, and that you can gradually bit by bit start to, we can grow this understanding and awareness. You know, after that event, I said, if any large company was smart, they would acquire you or me, I, me, one of us, or both of us, and keep us all under the same roof. Because that conversation, like you said, 20% of the people were never going to switch from big padded arch support shoes. 20% were all on our team. And there's, you know, 60% in the middle who were really there curious. And the best thing that we can do for any of them is highlight their own experience of the times they've been barefoot, the times they've been doing something natural, the times that, that, you know, that they understand if you put a joint in a cast, it gets weaker. All of those things that are basically, what's the word I'm looking for, contrary to what they've been sold, because if their own experience is more powerful than a marketing message, that's what's going to get people to change. But fundamentally, if some bigger company could put on that event, if they put us on the road, just doing that conversation, because people want to hear, they're looking for solutions. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to run and walk and play and have fun and do that healthily and enjoyably for the rest of their life. If the end result of that conversation benefited that umbrella company, no matter which direction people landed, that would be the best possible solution because then we would have the bonus of all this, you know, the extra marketing and distribution and all those things that we're now trying to build. And we'd have a bigger audience to draw from when we, you know, created these large events where people want to hear what's going on. The problem, I think, though, is that for a larger company like that, the people they would have to put on the road with us would have to have, you know, ego strength like Narcissus, because you and I just, we point out the obvious and they have no response. And so, you know, I heard from a couple, in fact, I said to the two guys, the guys from Brooks and Adidas, I came up to them afterwards and it was the most evil, psychologically manipulative thing I think I've ever done in my life. I came up to them and I said very lightheartedly, man, sorry, I was so obnoxious out there. I didn't really mean to be. And they went, it's okay. And I did it just to make them laugh because otherwise I knew they were going to walk away very upset. I mean, they had no response to anything that we said. In fact, I have a link. I I have the video, horrible quality, but I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes because I mean, we didn't get to respond to this one. One of the guys opened they both opened by saying they're trying to reduce injuries, improve performance. And I think it was the guy from Adi who said, you know, we don't have any proof that we can do this because doing that study would be very time consuming and very expensive and uh, have a lot of confounds. And I'm thinking, dude, if you could make a shoe demonstrably better than the guy sitting next to you, it's worth billions of dollars a year. And you're telling me you haven't done it because it's difficult. 
give me a break. You know why you haven't done it. You know the research, you know what's going on, or you're completely oblivious to it, which is even worse. But suffice it to say, you know, I think that would be in creating a movement, the thing that you need is eyeballs. You need attention. You, you need yeah. something that's going to make people engage in the conversation. And like you said, we're not going to get everyone, not everything's for everybody, but the bigger the arena, the more impact you can have. And, you know, that's really everything I'm doing is trying to just, you know, make the conversation bigger to be beneficial. Like you said, also for all the companies that are doing this in the various ways that we're trying to, when I first started this, I emailed one of my now competitors and I said, just wanted to let you know what I'm doing. And he says, I don't know if I should be happy or cry. I said, oh, you should be ecstatic because I'm a much better marketer than you are. So I'm going to make the conversation much bigger than you ever thought possible. And you're going to make more money than you ever thought possible. And years later, when I met him personally for the first time, I said, was I right? He goes, yes. <laughs> he was very upset that I was correct. And we've since become good friends, though. <laughs> so, Well, anyway. I think it's uh, the real reason to do it is because it all comes back to that thing. If you can make people's life better if you can yeah. make the experience better because that's the most gratifying and i think that, that's got to be at the heart of it if it's just about oh. making money or you know trying to be a big company there's no you know there's nothing really lasting in that it doesn't get me up to work in the morning um, but if you feel like what you're doing is really helping people and we're lucky you know during this time of the pandemic a lot of people started looking probably you know started running walking yep. hiking that weren't before and it's yep. great it brought a lot of new people in and a lot of those people ended up in your shoes or my yeah. shoes because they were open minded they didn't have this you know preconception that they needed this other thing so yeah it created a lot of opportunity well, then let's end it on that note of here's to changing the world and get, having people be happier and healthier. And I just want to thank you for everything you've done uh, in doing that. And thank you for all of your kind words and support over the years. Um, as I said, it, it's been a treat. And um, anyway, I got to sign off and get out of here and go talk to someone who might help me get in front of more people. Uh, so, um, so thank you, Tony Post. If people want to find you, how do they do that? So they can find us at Topo Athletic is the name of the company and um, start at the website. You'll learn a lot about the company and see the products we make. I apologize. Our stock is a little devastated right at the moment. We've had a pretty yeah. good run, but it's going to be a lot better here in the next 30 days. So you don't see what you want right off the bat. You know, it'll be there soon. Awesome. Fingers crossed. We're having the same issues. So anyway, <laughs> thank you all for being part of the Movement Movement podcast. Like I said, uh, find out more at www.jointhemovementmovement.com uh, where you can find previous episodes and learn where you can interact with all this content and um, you know share and like and thumbs up, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, like I said, if you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. But also if you have any comments or questions or recommendations of people you want on the show or things you want us to cover, drop me an email just and send it to move at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, please go out, have fun, and live life feet first.